Well, we have spent a great deal of time in the Sermon on the Mount, and as we've done so, we've gotten to be exposed to a lot of the teachings of Jesus. The one glaring omission in the Sermon on the Mount are the parables of Jesus, um, which Matthew sort of locates later in the Gospel. Uh, so I wanted to take a few weeks to dive into uh, the, the parables of Jesus. Now, before we jump into our first parable, uh, it's just helpful to talk a little bit about what a parable is and how you read one. A parable is a short story, or really it's sort of a long metaphor used for teaching. Parable is just a transliteration of a Greek word, parabole, which is a combination of two words. One is the word throwing, bale, and the other, uh, para, alongside. So parable is to throw alongside two different concepts in this little story to show people uh, to, to give more layers to what you're trying to teach. Now, as we approach parables, we, we need to keep a few things in mind. First, we, we tend to associate story and narrative as less truth. Like, facts are facts, but stories are something less than. But, but really, the fact is that there are some things you can only learn through story and through metaphor. Okay, the problem is some truths uh, lend themselves to that kind of, of change, that, that your thinking is changed through story. And, and if you're going to change how you think and you're going to change how you act, that takes not only your head knowing facts, we all know certain facts that we ignore, right? Certain things we shouldn't eat, but we eat anyway. No, you, you know the facts, but the story motivates the heart. So there's a great deal of truth that can come out of story. The challenge then with a parable is knowing what that truth is. Only one or two of the parables does Jesus even really give any kind of explanation. Most of them have some kind of an intro or outro to give you a hint. Um, but how do we know what the story is about? As Christians have read parables throughout the years, there's been a lot of different ways to approach parables. Uh, in the early church, they tend to look at parables uh, and, and try to make something out of every detail. So it's sort of a complex analogy and every little detail stood for something that related to the world that they lived in. The, the challenge with that is all these different interpreters were coming up with different ways of reading the parables, a lot of which had nothing to do with what Jesus could have meant by the parables. The, the prevailing idea of the last few centuries has been to, to see parables as having one single point that there's just they, there's a to say one thing the problem is we can't agree on what that point is and some of the parables seem to clearly have more than one point or lots of layers um, other people have suggested other things a, a scholar that i read about the parables named craig blomberg has suggested that there's one big idea or main point for every character um, and while i like his work i, I think it's his formula is still too formulaic for me. In my own study of the parables, I have found that these stories tend to, to stay with you, to haunt you. They're opportunities for the Holy Spirit to teach you, and so they don't necessarily lend themselves to points. In, in fact, I'm sort of allergic to points, if you notice that in my sermons. Uh, I don't normally have, like, points. I sort of dive in, marinate in the text, and let whatever happens come. And a lot of times it means, rather than having a clear call to action or something at the end of the sermon the way you would be taught in a lot of preaching classes my sermons often end with questions and ideas and things to think about because that's what i think the texts do and i think that's especially true 
of parables. The challenge is you have to do a little bit of work here, right? Because the images that Jesus uses in his parables are everyday images in the first century. But for us, they're not everyday. Uh, I've never been around a, a Middle Eastern shepherd. I don't quite know what a fig tree is. I don't do weddings the same way they used to. We don't light our home with candles. We've got to do a little bit of work to go back and understand these parables as they fit. Once we do that, then we, we find that they don't necessarily lend themselves to points, but lots of questions and ideas that sort of bubble to the surface. Which means over the next few weeks as we look at parables, a lot of the conclusions to the sermons are going to be lots of these questions or thoughts. Two other things to note about parables. One is that very often Jesus associates parables with the theme of the kingdom of God. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to help people understand how the kingdom of God is different from the kingdom of this world. And so he uses story, he uses these little metaphoric parables to, uh, to help people make that connection. And lots of times his parables include some kind of an economic component. In other words, finances, money. Money is a big part of the parables of Jesus. I think it's because money is one of the ways we can see the difference between how the kingdom of God works and how our, the kingdom of this world works. These are important to note because in our parable for today, from Matthew chapter 18, you're going to see it's about the kingdom with a major financial component. So, let's dive into the story. We're in Matthew 18, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. The first two verses set up the parable. So here's the setup. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. The Greek there can also mean 70 times seven. It, it, pretty much the same idea. You just keep on forgiving and forgiving. This is an interesting question because Peter's brother is a disciple. I wonder if this is coming out of a bitterness. He's bothered by his brother. He comes to Jesus. How many times do I have to forgive this dude? And, and this reference to 77 or 70 times seven is a reference to Genesis 4.24. In other words, Jesus says, keep on forgiving and forgiving. And then to help to help Peter and the disciples understand this, he goes into this little story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the masters of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began, and he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have impatience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had take, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt that you pleaded with me, and, you should, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So Jesus imagines this king who, who has all these servants. Servants don't necessarily mean slaves. You might think more like subjects, people working for him. Okay, and, and he calls them together to, to give an account for anything that they owe him. It's a pretty simple parable. I mean, we can make sense of the topics, um, but, but one challenge to the parable whenever we're dealing with money in the Bible, we tend in our heads to always make whatever the dollar amount is, or whatever it is, a denarii or a talent, we tend to just make it dollars. Like just, that's a, that's a dollar, that's a dollar, that's a dollar. But to do that is to really miss the point of it, especially this parable. Servant goes before his master owing 10,000 talents. Now, a talent isn't a dollar. A talent was a measurement of silver, normally representing about 6,000 drachmas. I know that clears it up, right? What's a drachma? A drachma is an average day's wage. So if you went out in the field and you worked all day, you would make about one drachma. Okay? That means this is 6,000 days of labor that this man owes. Uh, so one talent is about 6,000 days wages. This servant owes 10,000 talents. In other words, about 60 million days of labor. Okay, this servant in dollars owes several million dollars to his master. Okay, millions and millions of dollars he owes to his master. Now what happened in those days, if you couldn't pay your debt, you'd be thrown in jail which is a rather silly way to do it because if you're in jail, you can't be making money. The idea would be that your friends and family would have to pay off your debt to get you out of jail. Problem is, he's never going to have friends and family that can pay millions and millions of dollars to pay off his debt. So the next step would be for him to be sold into slavery with his family, all his possessions to be sold, and still it wouldn't come anywhere close to the millions and millions of dollars that he owes to his king. The big question here is, how can he owe so much, right? Is it bad stewardship of the king to let this guy get in such debt? Well, it turns out it's because this king is so gracious. We see it here. The man falls and begs the king and promises to pay him back, something he can't possibly do. Okay, He's never going to pay him back. He says he'll pay it back. He'll never be able to pay it back. And yet the king not only takes him out of prison and has pity and releases him, but actually forgives the debt. You know, that, that millions of dollars you owe me, don't even worry about it. Like, let's just forget about that. You're free. You're fine. What a, what a strange king. What a kind of a foolish king to be that gracious. So that, that forgiven servant goes out with his family spared, his possessions spared, and, and after he leaves the presence of the king with his life fully in his grasp again, he bumps into somebody who has a hundred, owes him a hundred denarii. Now again, we tend to take denarii and we make it into dollars, but it's not. A denarii was about a hundred days. Uh, a, a, a denarii is worth about the same as a drachma. Okay, it's about a day's wage. So this is a hundred, uh, this is a hundred days wages. And so it's about a third of the year. Right? Almost a third of the year salary that this person owes to somebody else if it was an average American. Okay? So the average American makes about 50 grand a year. 
um, this man owes something like sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars. That's nothing compared to the millions of dollars that this man has been forgiven. But but when he sees this man, he starts to choke him, and he says, "Pay me what you owe me." Well, he doesn't really owe me, right? He owes the king. What we get is a glimpse into this man's heart. This man is cheating everybody. He's in it for himself. So he, he owes the king a bunch of money, but then he's cruel to all these people that owe him. Well, if they owe you, why aren't you paying the king? See, he's stealing. Okay, he's being dishonest. He's making big bucks and maneuvering for his own gain at the expense of the king. Now, some of the other servants hear about it, and they go to the king to tell him what happened, and the king is furious. He calls them together. Let me read his words again. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And he's so angry that he throws the man back in prison until he can pay the debt. Remember, he will never pay that debt. He can't earn it in prison. His family's never going to come up with millions of dollars. He's going to prison for the rest of his life. He will live out his days in prison. And then Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ouch. Harsh ending. If the purpose of this parable is to show that we need to keep on forgiving and forgiving, then it's super interesting that the king doesn't keep forgiving and forgiving. The king being the God feather here, this is, God is actually bringing judgment in the parable harsh judgment not forgiving but of course the harshness of the king is imbalanced to the cruelty of this unforgiving servant i mean we, we got to remember with when we see the, this king judging we, we have to start out with the amazing grace that the king had in the first place to let this man get millions of dollars in debt to let this man then be forgiven of all that debt. This is a king who has given grace and forgiveness upon grace and forgiveness. And yet that servant despises the grace. Though he was forgiven millions of dollars, will choke someone and throw them in prison for thousands that are owed to him. I mean, that, that man is using the grace. And the harshness of the judgment is an underreaction to this terrible response of the servant. What Jesus does in this story is cut right to the heart of Peter's question. Peter wants to know the limits of forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Like, what's the rule? When can I stop? And Jesus is saying, you got this whole thing totally backwards. Think about how I have forgiven you. Think about the, what you owe to God that you will never get in return. How much has God forgiven you? We should be shocked by the grace of God. Why does God continue to forgive me? Why does he cut you so much slack? Why does he sacrifice his own plans and even his own son to bring us into the kingdom? And so I don't think Jesus is pointing to us having to earn our salvation here. Or that we could lose our salvation if we don't forgive. Although we, we've got to say that we've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount already. We are to forgive others their trespasses. In the Sermon on the Mount, we are to love our enemies. We're to take the log from our own eye. We're going to do to others un, 
the way we would have them do unto us. But when Jesus tells it as a parable, it comes alive. Are you really forgiving? If you've received this grace, it ought to change how you relate to other people. If you've received this forgiveness, it ought to change how you forgive other people. And you can see how then this parable doesn't loan itself to any particular point. I mean, the big point is clear. You should be forgiving. But there's lots here still to think about. We are to notice the king and his foolishness. The way, the way God just gives grace upon grace upon grace. We should all be shocked by the grace of God. The forgiveness of God. We're meant to look at our own hearts and see that we are forgiven and how much we forgiven we are we have been forgiven and how much grace we've received we're meant to look in the mirror and be grateful that our king has done so much for us see there's a lot to think about with this parable it doesn't lend itself to a point it lends itself to us having to wrestle the rest of this week or whenever you listen to this with the grace of god with your own heart and forgiveness towards other people. Where have you not been forgiving? Where have you despised the grace that God has given to you? I know people like that. I know people that uh, just keep on sinning and keep on making the same mistakes because God will just keep forgiving me, right? That is to spit on the gift of grace. Christ calls us to live differently. Not trying to follow the rules, but being overwhelmed by the grace of God. I pray this parable would be, uh, would do what only parables can do. That it would get under your skin. That it would follow you around a little bit this week. And then it might be a tool for the Holy Spirit to train you in the ways of Jesus.